This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Kelly Fedor from Channel 9. Kelly has been working in Sydney media as a journalist for over a decade with 2GB and Channel 9 after working in Orange, Mudgee and Albury. She chats about going regional to get her start, being consumed by media and standing up to broadcasting great Alan Jones. Kelly's one of the hardest working people in the media today, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Kelly Fedor, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thanks, Rafi. Now, you're working as a court reporter for, for Channel 9. How's that going? Brilliantly. I absolutely love the court round and I love being at Channel 9 and all the great stories that I'm getting to do at the moment and all the great people on the court round that I get to hang out with every day. Now, let's sort of go back and, and talk about where media began as a, a career for you. Was it in your thinking when you were in high school or in school or uh, is that where you wanted to go? Yeah, from a very young age, I would say early high school, I um, wanted to um, do journalism and I knew that I was a decent writer but I didn't sort of have – I was quite logical and analytical so – it seemed makes sense to go in something that was a bit more factual based than creative. And so it was either that or marine biology. And so in year 10, I went to the Department of Fisheries, did work experience as a marine biologist and spent most of the week sorting dead fish and cutting up dead fish. And at that point I decided, no, it was journalism. Not that wasn't biology. for you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no more dead fish for me. <laughs> so then how did you go about staking out? I mean, what, You've worked in radio previously and you're now currently working TV, obviously. Were they the ones that you wanted to to do when you started out? Because a lot of people sort of think that they want to work in magazines and features and that sort of died a little bit of a death given the the fact that online has sort of taken over. Whereabouts was the interest spark for you and which way did you want to go? I always thought I'd go into broadcast. I'd done a little bit of... um I lived overseas for a year when I was 16 in work experience in America and I worked on the school newspaper there and really loved it. So I quite liked print, but I just for some reason always saw myself going down the broadcast route. And so I, I had two years off between high school and uni and I worked and travelled. And then when I went to uni, I majored in broadcast and just the minute I got to uni and started doing um, TV and radio stuff, I just – it was perfect. There was no question that that's what I'd be pursuing. I actually, though, got to a point where I got my first full-time radio gig and just decided radio was for me and I was never, ever going to do television. So didn't quite work out as I planned, but that was the thinking when I first started. Now, whereabouts did you go to uni? Charles Sturt Bathurst. Yeah. Okay. And you, as you said, you sort of came in a little bit later than probably a lot of the, the students would have done or a couple of years later. Did you find that that was a little bit difficult to get used to or was that like totally fine? No, I felt really old, especially in O-Week. Um, 
super old. I found another guy who was also two years ahead um, to hang out with. But then that by after a couple of weeks, it didn't matter. And I met Laura Tunstall and became friends with her and Edwina Bartholomew and Danielle Post and a whole bunch of people that I'm still friends with to this day. So, yeah, I met some really great people and then the age didn't seem to matter at that point. I've spoken to Laura and Edwina uh, about their days at CSU. What was it that you found most beneficial in terms of pursuing your career in, in media? Well, because we lived out at Bathurst, that was our whole life. You know, we didn't go to uni for a couple of hours and then go home and maintain our old friendships. We um, we lived there and we lived on top of each other and that develops – you develop different kind of relationships a lot closer. And the best thing about Bathurst was just it was so practical. We were out there doing um, – filming our own stories, writing our own stories, uh, working on the radio station. Um, yeah, if, right from – the start pretty much it was it was all very very hands-on it seems as though and it's often spoken about that csu has this great ability to develop and nurture media talent because it goes back a long way i mean we're talking people like amanda keller and chris bath and all those type of people were part of it andrew denton was another one is that something that also encourages students to bring the best out in themselves the fact that it has such this great track record of turning people into from students into working professionals. Well, we knew from a ver- from a very early point that if you went to Charles Sturt, you were bound to do pretty well because there were so many graduates out there already and it had such a great reputation. And also I felt like we were all really encouraging of each other. I think the reason I – my first – sort of paid gig was out at Prime in Orange. And I think that was because either Danielle or Edwina had put my name forward or someone had. So everyone was all really encouraging and supportive. And yeah, I just, it wasn't really questioned that it was a great place to go and it's, and it gave you a great um, kickstart. You sort of mentioned that your first paid gig was at a TV station. What was it that you thought at that stage, probably doing work experience as well, that that you were going to make that transition to those broadcast mediums of TV and radio? Well, they had, in fact, drilled it into you that it was pretty tough to get a job because it was such a small industry. Um, And we had a really good year, obviously, but I was so terrified that I wasn't going to find a full-time job that I took this um, sort of part-time temporary gig at prime in orange but then kept applying for full-time jobs and the first full-time job I got offered I took because I was just so worried that I wasn't going to get anything else in hindsight I probably could have been a little more picky but uh that first job which was 2MG Real FM in Mudgee was yeah a great place to to start full-time work when you went and did that stuff that full-time work the initial foray into it did you find it was a a fairly easy transition or were there other things that you were just completely unaware of and you you picked up on the run? Because I guess what most people say, there's no actual like proper training until you actually learn on the job and make your mistakes on the job. Well, and this is one of the benefits of going regional. It's because I'm sure I made hundreds of mistakes 
but I did it out in the bush. So no one, well, not that many people realized. Unless I said a place name wrong, then the whole town realized. <laughs> but um, generally, you kind of just felt your way and you were, you had the room to do that because you were out in the bush and it wasn't a high pressure like a Sydney newsroom. I'd imagine even in those early days, there are people there that that's what they do. That's their career objective to reach the regionals because that's where they live or that's where they're, they're from. And you would have learnt a different way of doing things or you would have at, at least learnt about how they do things in, in those particular areas. Yeah, and I met some great people that were very supportive, the program director out there, and also there was another guy, Nick Lowther, who was just wonderful um, to bounce off and to give me info and um, – yeah, help me because at that point I was doing an hour show on um, rural news as well. Okay, <laughs> this is on the radio, Marjorie. Yeah, <laughs> doing like cattle prices and, and that kind of thing. So I really had no idea what I was doing. It was just honestly day-to-day just feeling my way and trying to get it as right as possible. Do you still have tapes of that stuff? I think so somewhere, yeah. <laughs> would, you, would you think about it now and think about, oh, oh, you know, doing rural stuff is so far removed from what you are doing today. It's just like yeah. um, another lifetime yeah, ago. Yeah, it's another lifetime ago. I Actually, it was so long ago now. It's another lifetime. Working in a, a place like 2MG at, at Mudgee and, and working in, in places like Orange, the radio stations and the TV stations are pretty much the lifeblood of the community. So... I guess it comes with a, a great responsibility as well. Mm. Yeah, people know who you are and they um, you're almost a big fish in a small pond in many ways and also the, there were some big issues in those towns as well. I remember in Mudgee one of the big ones I did was there was this whole debate about whether to add fluoride to the water, which affected absolutely everyone. So it was a really important story mm. to cover and to do it well and, to go to all the council meetings to make sure you were covering every, every angle of it. But, yeah, affected absolutely everyone in that town. And having that interaction with the locals, I guess that would have taught you a lot about, I guess, bringing to, to what you did in your future career at, at 2GB and Channel 9 about getting people to talk about the issues and, and you know, harnessing your skills in, in that way. Because when you're a young person, you're not necessarily – that confident to do that kind of thing. So like nurturing your skills in that way would have been quite beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And I can sometimes be a little bit shy. So it forced me to sort of get out there and talk to people. It also helped me um, in Mudgee, especially find, look for stories and to have a sense about what is a story, because in a town of 10,000, there's not there's not that many stories. So to fill a full news bulletin, you really have to seek them out. So it gives you that skill of um, not just relying on stories to fall into your lap. Okay. So then how does somebody go from working at Orange and, and Mudgee to making it back to Sydney? Because obviously that was your ultimate goal. Well, I wasn't sure. I went to Albury for two years. So right. I did national news for three states but a lot of it was rewriting copy because you were sitting in in Albury doing national news for three states, so you're just so rewriting like a, a lot. Of, exactly. Yeah. So um, I got to be a very quick writer and accurate in in Albury, and then I stayed there for two years because I absolutely loved Albury and I made some great great friends. But then, yeah, I decided it was time to come to back 
home to Sydney. And so I booked in interviews with 2UE and 2GB on the same day. I flew in and I went to interviews with Clinton Maynard at 2UE and um, Rachel Stevens at 2GB. And I remember Rachel, I walked into 2GB and just got a really good vibe about it. And Rachel thought I was applying for cadetship. And I said, oh, no, no, I've got far too much experience for that. Right. And I think she kind of respected that I was not Forward. a walkover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, she offered me a job. And a couple of months later, I moved back. Now, what was it about? 2GB and the experience there that you in, enjoyed the most because I guess like anybody you would have started just in the pool or on overnights or anything like that. So it's you've sort of come from doing it all yourself and being independent and being the I guess the the shining light at a few of these radio stations where you probably would have been perhaps a, a team of one or, or two or three people to a big newsroom like 2GB. Mm. Um, what was that transition like for you? It was pretty daunting. I remember that I started on Christmas Eve, so obviously skeleton staff. And so day three or four, I had to re-drive and drives are pretty, you know, big um, role. So I didn't even know how to use the panel at that point. And Michael Packey was working there part-time and he had to talk me through how to use the panel and I had to redrive. So it was a, I, I was thrown in the deep end. How did you find it? Yeah, it was full on, but I loved it. Just from the start, I loved it. I love, silly to say, but the news thing sort of gives you that chill, that excitement, that adrenaline. And it was just great being a part of that and doing overnights and going out on the road was new for me as well. So I remember having to go to court for the first time. I'd never even stepped foot in a courtroom and Rachel had to talk me through, you know, what to say and, and what bits to pick out. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a massive learning curve, but I was, I relished it. And so when you step into a situation like that, where it is a lot about whether you can sink or swim and learning on the on the on the job as well. I guess you would have built up your confidence over quite a period of time where you, you felt like you're actually able to do it because people kind of think from the the outside looking in that it's a reasonably easy job and you know you've got three or four minutes of news to read on the hour but it's a whole lot more to to it than that, isn't there? Like particularly yeah. when you're on your own in that sort of mid-dawn situation when you know, invariably there can be big stories that break overseas. And or here and then you have to make the decision about whether to call the police reporter and wake them up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I remember the there was a tragedy, uh, the boat accident on Sydney Harbour. I think six people died in the end and that happened in the middle of the night and I had to wake people up and, you know, break that on the news. And, yeah, so it's a... It's a big responsibility and a big role because you're there by yourself and you're making the decisions by yourself and you're still pretty green. So, um, yeah, it's it was a great learning curve doing that by yourself, but I really loved being there by myself and just being in control and just sorting it out and working really hard and um, trying to make my mark and make an impression. Talk to me about what it's like for the first time when you have news that very few people have and it's your job to actually tell the greater listening audience about that. Like it, 
as we sort of said before, it comes with a, a great responsibility, but it also has its own pressures in that you want to get it exactly right. Yeah, and you have to be 100% sure of what you're saying. And so there is um, an anxiety that comes with it for me as well as an excitement because I'm like no one has gone with this yet, but I, I'm going to go with it because I'm 100% right. So there's this anxiousness but it's excitement as well and it's, yeah, a whole different host of emotions. But, um, yeah, it's, I think that's what, that's part of the, what you do this for, why you, um, the adrenaline, the push to be first and to be right and to get people the information, it's kind of what you live for. And in that 2GB newsroom as well, there would have been quite a few people that, would have helped you along the way. You mentioned Rachel Stevens there. You mentioned Michael Packey. To be working for the number one station in, in Sydney must have also been a, a really sort of great thrill because of the fact that that's what 2GB is. It represents news and current affairs. Yeah, and there was Jess Campanaro was amazing at helping you and just teaching you things and being patient with you. And also Rowan Barker was still there when I was doing overnights. So it was great to learn off him because he, when you did overnights, you had an hour or two with the breakfast team at the tail end of your shift. So it was great to watch him doing his thing and um, just taking it all in and trying to learn as much as you could from what they did and, and any piece of feedback. And that's still the case now. Like if I'm in the newsroom at Channel 9 with Damo and um, MB and um, – Simon Boda and they're not doing anything I'll ask them to have a quick squeeze at my script and milk them for any piece of advice I can get so you'd say that you were always willing to learn like you weren't precious about a whole lot of that stuff because you can see and I have experienced it over over the years that young people that that come in and and some really get really deflated the fact that someone's ripped apart their script or has written it in a completely different way, I guess you can go two ways in that. You can really get upset about it and um, sulk in the corner or you can use it as a, a learning experience. Mm. And uh, yeah, if you have, if you use it as a learning experience, that attitude, people see it and it gets you a long way. But I, f like, I love feedback. Give me more feedback, constructive feedback. There are times when people are just changing things for the sake of changing things and then I'll stand up to them. But if, but I want more feedback. I'd like to, I would like, um, more feedback back then. You know, the more the better people tell you. I would rather get it right. And if there's something that's wrong, if it's annoying or if I'm just getting something blatantly wrong, I would rather be told than to continue to do that. And I want to be as good as possible. So, yeah, more feedback, the better. And I always try to tell people that I wasn't precious about it. I've got a thicker skin than that. Now, what did you enjoy more often? Was it the, the reading or was it the, the on-road reporting that was the, the thing that, that you enjoyed most about the I job? Don't, I don't think I'm a very good reader and I didn't enjoy it that much. I've always been a reporter. I've always been at my best on the road. So that's – and I've always known that. Um, even, I mean, I did do breakfast editing for three years. So for Alan Jones's show for three years, but, um, and I really enjoyed that. But then at nine, when nine o'clock hit and my editing shift was over and I still had 
three hours left of my actual shift, I'd send myself out to court most of the time, or, but I'd always try and go out on the road. Talk to me about the pressures of editing on such a high-profile shift. Um, mm-hmm. Alan Jones can be at times very picky when it comes to news story mm-hmm. selection and stuff like that, and you're the person that is behind the person that's delivering yeah. it. Um, I'd imagine there would have been times there that he may have um, questioned a few of yes, the, the stories that you, that nice you came up with. That's a putting it, yes. <laughs> yeah, there were a few um, screaming, well, I got yelled at quite a few times um, and then once I screamed back and then he seemed, um, we seemed to get along really well after that. I think I probably got his respect at that point. But, yeah, he came in and yelled at me about some news story and I screamed back I'd had enough. I don't know how I got up the guts to do that, but I did. <laughs> and he was, yeah, he was really great to me after that. Um, we got along quite well. He'd still have a go if he didn't agree with the story, but, um, sometimes I would think, well, I'd just have to wear it because I was going to run the story the way I was going to run it. And that's, a, as we sort of touched on before, like a great responsibility to deliver that news in mm. such a, a high-profile program. Who were you sort of working with there as your main news readers that were part of that that shift of yours? Yeah, um, mainly it was Joel Larby was reading and who else did I have? A couple of different police reporters. I had Laura Tunstall for a while, so that was brilliant because we're such good mates. And then I had Jess Pellicioni for a while um, and lots of people on overnights coming through. There was TIFF, um, Genders and, well, Caitlin, Pugh edited for a while while when I was police reporter. So, yeah, it was, some, it was a great little team. Tim Sodom reading news. We all got along really, really well and had some good laughs, but everyone sort of um, got down to business when we needed to and were all, again, really supportive. And It's a pretty important role when you look at what has to happen throughout the day. Like you've got to come in and you're pretty much like a, a traffic cop in many respects in that you're organising the stories and then you're sort of thinking always probably two or three bulletins ahead and mm. setting the agenda for the day in terms of the stories the on-road reporters have to go out to later on. So I guess there would have been a great growth for you in that period that you were doing it that not only were you, I guess, putting together the bulletins, but there was a whole lot of other structured things that you were responsible for as well. Yeah, I. that's one of the things I loved about that job was that you came in and it was a fresh, clean slate and you got to choose what stories from the start and set the agenda and then people followed. Like, um did you get a lot of confidence out of doing that? Yeah. Like being able to say, okay, here's what I want um, you guys are doing. So you're pretty, yeah. much like, you're pretty much like the pseudo news director in many ways before a lot of them actually come into the office. Yeah, and I'm better when you put me in a, a specific role and then I can take ownership of it. So I think I did that um, and I had a vision and I knew exactly what I wanted and we all sort of got it done and, but it, 2GB was an amazing place because people really sat up and took notice of what we did. And if we were at a crime story and we had the exclusive angle or the new angle, like the, all of the newsrooms, the TV newsrooms and the uh, 2UE at that point were listening and taking notice. And there were times when 
um, someone else might have had it first, but others thought we had it first because they only listened to us. So, yeah, it was um, it was great place to work for in in the sense that it was a leader. Are you a morning person? Or yes. did you become one? Oh, I think actually, I think maybe I became one. I've had to because I did. That was, I think I got up at three o'clock in the morning for that job. I can't even remember. And then I, I did that for a decade or so. Yeah. So what's that like? I mean, we've spoken to a whole lot, lot of people that have been on this podcast already. There's others that go for naps in the afternoon. Uh-huh. Others try to, to push on. I mean, it's really that delicate balance because as I've sort of discussed so many times, it's like this permanent feeling of jet lag. All the time. Yeah, it affects every area of your life. I'm sitting at the table with my family at a dinner and I'm like, why did my sister get all the personality? Because I'm just so drained and dead. But um, You have to love it, right? Like- yeah, exactly. But I keep doing it because I just am obsessed with it and I just, uh, yeah, love, love it, wouldn't do anything else. So it's totally worth it, but, yeah, it's exhausting and all-consuming. I guess for that that editing role would have stood you in good stead for the next part of it, which was going to the police round, mm. um, which, again, you're required to be on the clock pretty much 24-7. Um, you might get the odd relief on, on a weekend where somebody's going to cover for you, but yeah. that's a pretty full-on round, yeah. particularly um, at an important station like 2GB where you're required to be at things that, generally speaking, murders and shootings and horrible things tend to happen in the middle of the night. Yeah. I was, I think I was three days into police reporting when I got the call to say, up you go to Brisbane to the floods. So off I went, 20-hour days, um, just driving around Brisbane and surrounds covering those floods so it was right from day from right from the start it was um very full-on and yeah but I I thrived off it I just yeah I loved it (laughs) how did you cope with your emotions in that sense because you would have seen a lot of horrible things and you would have had to report it on a lot of horrible things but you've also got to keep that level of professionalism as well where you have to keep it all in check so that you can tell the story of these events that are unfolding. Yeah, um, and I think it's important to feel everything and to actually take a moment to think about it, not to gloss over it. I th- I've always thought that was important. Um, so to get upset if it's upsetting but and to treat everyone with respect and not just as someone you're trying to get on air. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it does take its toll at times, but I think if you, I think of it in a way that I meet some amazing, amazing, resilient people who inspire me um, and make me grateful for what I have. And then, um, yeah, so I think of it in that way. And so it doesn't get me down so much. And then if it does get me down, I just talk about it. In a sense, also, you're not only connected to the, the newsroom when you're in that important role as a police reporter. You're also connected to to program because obviously at a talk station like 2GB, they want the latest breaking news on whatever's happening out there and and they want to talk to you. So having to not only have the skill of putting together 
news reports. You're also got to be able to ad lib and talk on、mm. the run to to presenters and handle. Different questions that you may not have necessarily been totally prepared for, so、yeah. that would have taught you a lot about the game as well. Yeah, you just have to know your stuff really, really well.、Um, you have to be across everything. It's not like it's not the job where you just do your report, your thirty-second report, and then you chill for the next forty-five minutes. You actually have to. Yeah, be right across it, and I had I'd have to prepare a lot for crosses, especially in those early days, because that's not something that comes naturally to me.、Um, and I'd get I'd get quite nervous, especially if it was with Ray Hadley or Alan. Yeah, so I'd have to prepare and just be really, really on it. Now, who helps you with that? Because you know you've obviously. You're able to build up your own confidence, but sometimes there's people there that are able to explain things in a different way, which you're able to sort of take on board and make sense that you perhaps didn't think about the way that you could deliver it or the way that you could approach different、yeah. stories and, and reports. I listen to other people as well, and I consume everything, so I can see. Oh, they said that a nice way. That's a good way of thinking about it, and just. Being open to new ideas and learning and listening to some people that you respect and you think are really really good and take and just trying to、um, take that all in and and use it to make your own game better and then yeah seeking out some advice where you could from from people who know better as well from some Erin、um, came in and she was great she would she's good at feedback on grammar and and that kind of thing as well so you get that right. And yeah, just learning off other people. I'm really open to learning off continually. You mentioned a few times there the word consumed, and I think that's got to be something that's in a journalist's kit bag. You need to be consumed by the media all the time because there's been times in my career or whatever you've gone on holidays, and I have blanks of stuff that I've missed and. I just kind of you feel weird、um, oh. that that you that you're not part of that kind of thing. So, how big a role was that for you to just be reading and being aware of news and current affairs all of the time? Oh my gosh, it's but it's something I want to do. I'm obs- I, like I said, I am obsessed with it. So I'd come home of an afternoon and I'd often stay at a story well past my finish time just because I wanted to finish that story. And I wanted to see it through, but then I'd get home at whatever time it was, and I'd back in the old days I'd record the other two bulletins and watch all three news bulletins. I'd listen to two UE every hour as well as the ABC if I could. These days I even do it if if I'm home. I'll have seven on my iPad. I'll have Channel Nine on my television screen, and then I'll go back and watch ten. Like I. Just consume everything possible. Sometimes、I、listen to overseas bulletins just to see how they do it.、Um, yeah, I just love news and seeing how other people approach it. And that would have given yourself、uh, a whole lot more confidence in your delivery and the way you you present things as well. If you're being able to take in all these ways of doing it, I mean, certain styles work for certain people, and then certain styles work for others, but. I guess it's it's finding your way of doing it. Yeah, and I think I found my way was maybe I don't sound I'm not the most talented out there, but I work harder than most people. So, yeah, you would my style would be oh Kelly's 
still there or Kelly's still doing that. It's hour 10 and she's still, at, you know. Um, Where does I, that come from? Where does that work ethic come from? Does that come from your parents or is that yeah, something that uh, um, you personally have like developed? I think it probably is a, I think it's probably my dad, but yeah, it's just something I, I've always been like that. How much I, does it annoy you that you work with clock watchers? To work with yeah, with people that watch oh, the clock continuously. Well, I just don't understand it. Yeah. I'm just and I'm hopeless. I'm actually probably <laughs> the other extreme. I'm probably the one that they say maybe you should chill out a little <laughs> bit. You know, like even now I come home and I work, but I don't do it because I like. I do it because I like it, and I I want to do it. I don't do it if I didn't like my job. Maybe I wouldn't do it. But um, yeah, like I said, I'm just not the most talented, but I'll work harder than most people. And for that reason, with the 2GB police reporting, like you'd get called out at one o'clock in the, uh, in the morning and you, and I'd stay out the whole time just because I wanted to see the story through. And then, you know, you've got contacts feeding you information. So you're excited because you can put some new piece of detail to air first and, yeah, just do the best job possible. The advent of social media often gets criticised for, I guess, its um, approach to media in, in many ways. But for for journalists, I think that Twitter and, and, and Facebook have been really helpful in that area. You know, it probably increases the, the pressure tenfold mm. because I guess more stories are now being broken there where they'd been previously broken you know, online or with radio or, or TV. Do you find that that has been helpful for you or has it been a, a, a hindrance? Um, I, I embraced Twitter pretty early on, so I re- really liked tweeting. But then I do question how many members of the public really get a lot out of that or whether it's just for us journos and politicians and, and people with, yeah, I, d- I don't know about Twitter. I don't know how valuable it is. I can see that Facebook is becoming um, quite a a big um, point for um, especially Channel 9 to get news out because a lot of people are getting their news through Facebook. So I see the value in putting stories up there. But then I've, it's always, for me, breaking stuff has always got to be on air or um in radio, it was on radio first and then Twitter. So do you find a happy medium in that regard, like in terms of if you're at a really big story and perhaps other media outlets are consuming it, do you feel like you have to be all in because other people are in? Like is it is it that competitive pressure to now be on Twitter to break certain yeah. stories? It is with court because um, – sentence comes down and it you watch the court reporter's tweet and there was one court reporter the other or one reporter the other day who said to me oh I bet I bet you and Gil I was like <laughs> oh wow good I'm glad that's the benchmark oh. um yeah so there there is a, um a little bit of I I don't know if it's just pressure on myself to to tweet it out first, um, to get it out there first, just to show you're across it and you're there and, yeah, you're all over it. I guess. And so like, maybe a perception thing? Yeah, I think that perhaps, like you said, it may be something competitive within media, but yeah. the general public are going to get know. their news in another way. So 
it seems like the pressure is more internal rather than anything else. Yeah, I just um, I don't I question how valuable it is. So while I enjoy tweeting and I'll tweet just to show I'm there and I'm all over it for the people who are whoever it is watching my Twitter feed, still it's the um, the crosses, the live crosses, and just getting the information back to the newsroom has to take. Precedence. Yeah, I mean, and also, I guess the, the the resources there for you know for if you're at court or whatever, there might be another story while you're actually at court that you can track while you're there, rather yeah. than having to listen to the radio or you know have somebody from the radio or TV station tell you that it, it's happening. So. Oh, it's very handy just to see where other people are and <laughs> um, what other court reporters are doing. So it's a handy tool for me to have to, oh, that person's back in court on this day. Okay, I'm just going to update my diary from Twitter sort of thing, you know. How did the progression then come for you to move from 2GB? Because you would have been there for, what, five or six years? Six years, yeah. Um, I was To go into to television? How did that all unfold? It was a whirlwind. It was – I. I'd been at 2GB for six years. I think I'd been police reporter for three and I still really loved it and I was still really motivated and challenged and going out there and getting exclusives and whatever. But someone said to me, you need to start sort of just looking around um, before, so that when you're bored, when you do get bored, you've got somewhere to move because it's going to take you a few months to make any kind of transition. So it's like, okay, that sounds good. And then at that point, um, I was quite close to Amelia Ballinger, who was doing the chase shift for the Channel 9, and she was leaving to go overseas. And so she mentioned my name and then I sent an email and Wiki, Darren Wicks, said, come in tomorrow. So I went in and the night before I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't want to do television. I, I think I said that to Amy Dale, who court reporter for the telly, who I was living with at the time. And I went in anyway and did a screen test and was totally shocked by how much I enjoyed it. And I actually really had fun doing the screen test. So I was like, wow, okay. And then less than 24 hours later, I'd been offered a reporting gig and I just said to myself, well, there's hundreds of people who would kill for this job. I can't say no to that. So I said yes and that was all in the space of – that all happened probably in the space of 48 hours. Take me through your emotions through that. Like what was that like thinking that perhaps TV may have been this thing that you could have potentially done in the future to have it all pretty much wrapped up in a, in a couple of – couple of days. Well, and I said I wasn't going to do television. I I said that several times because I couldn't be bothered doing my makeup and my hair and I loved radio. But it was an opportunity to um to do more with the stories that I had rather than doing more stories, if that makes sense. Yep. So it's not quantity as much as it is quality for that one story that you're doing for the day. So I was excited about that. Um, I was terribly nervous and what have I got myself in for because I loved radio and I, w and I felt pretty comfortable at that point. So I was leaving my comfort zone completely and, yeah, just daunted. <laughs> what made it feel right for you in the end? Was it just going through the process and doing 
live crosses a few times because I'd imagine that is probably the most difficult or terrifying part of the job, knowing that, okay, when you're on radio, you can't really – well, you can't really see the people that are watching you on TV either, but the audience isn't there, whereas I think you would be a whole lot more self-conscious on TV than yeah. you are on, on radio. But, you know, you've mastered the art of an actual live cross already in radio and you've mastered the art of controlling your – um your anxiety, like if you're feeling nervous and so my voice will tend to shake if I'm feeling nervous, but I'd learn how to control that. So How how did you do that? Just breathing and just like trying to get out of my head and overthink it and concentrate on what I'm doing. That just that's it. So you've I've mastered all of that. All I now need to master is the actual standing in front of the camera bit and you know what the hardest thing for me was where to put my bloody hands. Yeah. So, what in terms of you were very sort of no, my but I was I wasn't I was nervous and I didn't know what to do with my hands, so I was throwing them out to the side like we were doing the Mexican wave or something. (laughs) You know, I had no idea, and it took. I look back at some of that early stuff and I go, "What was I thinking?" And it took Kenny Sutcliffe took me aside and he's like, "Kel, just bring the hands in, just bring them in a little bit." And changed my world. So do you are you then like watching it in the early days, just thinking, why am I moving these things around? Like, yeah, you know, I don't nobody's know what business. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. And also the other thing that I really struggled, it was the simple things like that. The technology was overwhelming because it's so much more complicated in TV. So I found that really, really difficult. What I didn't find difficult was the journalism part and I didn't find difficult the people because I knew them all from being on the road for so long. Right. So that was all really comfortable. But the technology part was daunting. It was so overwhelming. Okay, so what are we talking here when we're talking technology? Like, I don't even – I still don't know how to do a Moss ID and <laughs> I'm not sure I want to know, but just the – yeah, the technology of putting stuff to air in the newsroom is just some people get it really quickly and others don't, and I am one of them that doesn't. Now on the, the on-the-road stuff I'm really good at. I can FTP. I can help set up the Digero to feed um, vision back. So I'm okay with that stuff now, but I don't really understand the mechanics of other parts in the newsroom. So I found that really overwhelming and I found, oh, it took me a while to get used to how to construct a package, like um, in terms of where you want what pictures and writing to those pictures. I was going to say that for somebody that was working in radio, that must be the most difficult part because you're Mm. just used to using facts and putting them down and then, you know, either reading them out as a newsreader or putting them in as part of a live cross, yeah. then you've got to consider all of these other things for, yeah. for TV like, you know, like you said, pictures and sound and all that kind of stuff that comes together to make that overall uh, piece which, you know, you said in, in radio you might be covering, you know, seven or eight stories in the space of a few minutes whereas your whole day is yeah. around one, one story which may be, you know, a minute 10 or a minute 30 long. But – so my passion out of everything is writing. So that's in television, you, yeah, there are constraints, but you get to be very, very creative and look, have the pictures complement the 
beautiful words you write. So I I really enjoy that challenge. And yeah, it was I didn't really have any idea when I first started, but once I got the hang of it, that's my favorite part now, sitting down to write the story. What's it like walking in for the first time to a place like Channel 9, which has such a, a great, rich history when it comes to, to television? Um, there would have been people there that you would have admired over many years just purely because you are, as you said, consumed by mm. the business of news. It must have been exciting, daunting, terrifying all at the same time. Yeah, and the my interview the day I went in, Um, was in an, it's an open plan office and it's a glass office. So all these people that I know have seen me sitting there going, what's going on here? Mm. And so I think Damo came up and gave me a hug and yeah, a few others. And yeah, it's, it's just a really exciting place to be when it's full and it's, um, as with the hour news, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger and there are so many people in there. And when something big's happening, it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's it's just such a huge production. So it's quite um, – it fills you with a little bit of awe that it's all sort of chugging along. You know, you've got the cos desk over there and then all the producers in the middle and and the, the big guns up the back with us, you know. It's um, – it's an amazing place. So starting from the bottom, perhaps, I guess you'd probably liken it to starting on mid-dawns in radio, yeah. just being in that, that pool to go to any which story at any given mm. time. You know, you would have been working weekends a, a, a lot yeah. again. When did you start to feel this TV thing might be pretty good, given the fact that you'd ruled it out as a career yeah. option? <laughs> um, yeah, I was – Doing Chase, so it must have been at some point while I was doing that 5 a.m. shift and I was, I probably had a few wins under the belt and was starting to get, because those early days, the stories, I'd go out to the scene and be there first and gather all the information. They get, and a lot of the time if it was a big story, it'd get passed on to one of the more senior reporters. So that was kind of a rite of passage. Um, so once that stopped happening as often, and I st- they started trusting me to do the stories a little bit more often. That's probably when I thought. But I, re- I really enjoyed it from the start. I thought Nine was a great place to work and, yeah, I, did. I just really loved being able – I'm a perfectionist, so I loved being able to perfect that one story each day and to seek out victims to see if they wanted to talk or – people concerned with the story they wanted to talk and to get to sit down with them and do a proper job of it. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed that. You said you hated doing the hair and makeup. <laughs> That's an essential part of being on TV. Yeah. How have you found that adjustment each day? I'm much better at now, but I remember um, Fiona and I laugh about this. Fiona is the now our deputy news director and just an amazing person in that newsroom but she used to say to me Kelly more makeup more makeup because I'd take five minutes slap it on Mm. and I'd look a little bit dead so yeah you have like that's not a preoccupation as it might be perceived to be but you certainly have to put in enough effort so that it's not distracting in the sense that oh are you always conscious of your appearance I'd imagine you would be no just when I have to do something on air and then I quickly reapply it um but yeah you I'm conscious about 
wearing something that looks good on air or that, again, it's all about not being, not looking so horrible that it's distracting to the, to whoever's watching your story. I don't want them to be talking about my outfit rather than what I'm actually talking about. Has that happened to you? Oh, I don't think so. No. Well, yeah. you're doing all right. Yeah. I, don't think. <laughs> I don't know. No one said anything. No one said, oh, Kelly, I don't know about that top. Uh, yeah. Rethink that hairstyle. You sort of touched on there that the fact that it is such a, a, a big team there in at Channel 9. I mean, talk to me about what that is like being a cog in, in the wheel that puts together a number of news bulletins each day. Um, the thirst for news seems to be ever increasing mm. in the in the modern world because perhaps people don't have the time to sit down at six o'clock at night, perhaps like they they used to twenty thirty years ago. So it's all about what's happening now. What's that like being part of that machine that is television news every day? Well, you know what, I love it because in some ways it's taken on what I loved about radio. So. I love the immediacy of radio and now I can do that with television. Like there are days when maybe I'll do a, a like when I was first starting and I did the live crosses on the Gatani sentence. So I'm standing outside someone and the result comes in and I go to wear almost immediately. So that's what I loved about radio. It's just like radio, but it's on television. So I, that excites me, that aspect. Um, and the fact we have an hour is great for court stories because they're not necessarily picture rich. Um, so there's always where, whereas there, a, a court story in the past might have been busted back to a VO, now there's always room for a court story. So that's stood me in good stead. Um, I just think it's great that there's a thirst out there for it. And we have such an incredible group of people. I know, like, there are rumors that. People are at each other's throats, but honestly, you couldn't work in a more supportive newsroom. We've spoken about courts a few times so far. You've managed to work yourself up to be that's what your round is for for Channel Nine. Mm. Um, again, as we sort of discussed about the police round at Two GB, I mean, you're dealing with people that have done horrible things, and you have to report on that. And then I spoke to Gil Taylor earlier in this series just about just the processes of court can be quite overwhelming at times. Mm. Um, how have you found it and what what is it that you enjoy most about doing the court round? Um, I just love that we go in and we get all of the information and we can tell the story properly and we do it in a way obviously that um, allows that's within the rules and then at the end of it, I get often I get to t- talk to these absolutely incredible people who have been through situations that you can't even imagine and come out the other side. It's like um, I had a close relationship with um, a woman who was asleep at home and some home invaders came in and pointed a gun at her and her two babies heads and she's come out the other side and now we're good mates because she's just such an incredible person or um, another man who lost his parents and his brother in a road accident because a drug affected uh, truck driver had hit their car like these are just incredible people that I get the privilege of trying to tell their story 
um, and and share whatever lesson we can get from them. Sometimes there's no lesson, but a lot of the time there is. And that's the other aspect of it. Often there are bigger issues that these court stories will generate discussion about, whether it be domestic violence or or something else along those lines. Um, we get to tell the stories and generate that debate and talk about why AVOs aren't working and what they should be replaced with and maybe results in some kind of change. So I love that there's a bigger issue a lot of the time and I just love um, dealing and with these amazing people. I guess the judiciary and the, the justice system gets brought into to question a, a lot of the time in regards to whether there's adequate sentencing for certain issues Having worked on it in close quarters, do you have a different view on perhaps what's happening in courts because you can see the process and and how it unfolds on a daily basis? It's confusing even for me how some of the sentences work because you can get more for a drug offence than you can for killing someone a lot of the time. There are life sentences for drug importation now, and yet someone who kills someone and gets manslaughter charged gets away with seven years in jail. Um, So that confuses me. I don't think there's any kind of um, thinking about how they compare and and that it should make logical sense to... Betty in Blacktown, you know, not just someone who's had a very, very good education and become a judge. And then also there's the differences between judges as well. I, I Sometimes I think the sentences are exactly right, but there are other times when I think, oh, I don't, I don't know where they came up with that. I know it can be sort of like a bit of a, a morbid subject, but it's what you do. You report on these horrendous crimes at times, do you have a, a specific moment or a, a particular case that you may have followed from start to finish or you may have reported on that is a significant moment in the history of New South Wales or, or, yeah. or Australia? Is there a weird sort of satisfaction that comes with doing a great job on that particular day? Yeah, absolutely. Some stories, especially last year. Last year was the biggest court year in, I, I don't know if you'll ever match it. You had Roger Rogerson and Glenn McNamara, Vincent Stanford, the cleaner out at Leeton. We had um, Adil Khan, the Roselle bomber. We had, oh, I'm forgetting one, big one. I'm forgetting one, big one. Anyway, um they were a bead. They were all really massive. But for me, Roger Rogerson and Glenn McNamara, that's the one I think that's going to stay with me because that's – I think that's the biggest court story for a decade. It had everything. It had all of the CCTV. It had, you know, two larger-than-life characters, stranger than fiction to use all the cliches, um, and then the life sentence and – I think we were all shaking with adrenaline as that was handed down at 4.36 or something, ridiculous time, and then having to race around to try and get a story to wear. And I had this um, – I had an interview with Mick Drury, of course, the police officer who had um, survived the shooting, which he alleges uh, Rogerson masterminded. Um, so – yeah, I had that all to myself. So to get that all put together into air was, um, uh, yeah, it was 
a scramble and we had system issues to top that off as well. We were going through some problems at work. So, yeah, we were up against it, but we got it to wear and I was really happy with it. And, um, yeah, I just think that that story is just going to stay with me for my whole career. In that situation where there is that amount of pressure and time constraints, do you feel as though the way that you've eventually deliver it, uh, delivered it to air is a result of years and years of practice and years and years of, of doing things and then in that ultimate situation you're able to deliver the goods. I guess in, if you sort of revert it to sort of spa, uh, sporting parlance is that you, you're able to perform in the pressure mm. moment. Yeah, and I think it's really, really important that you don't and I think I learned this quite early on that you don't panic. You've just got to, okay, this is what I've got to do and I've just got to get it done and there's no time to stress about it. We're just, we've just, okay, I've got this list and I'm just going to go through it because panicking doesn't help you but also it doesn't make you, it stresses everyone else out in the office and then they remember that, you know, you just, I I just like to be low maintenance, the easy one that gets along with everyone and that can get the job done and every, and that's what everyone thinks. So if I panic, that's certainly not what they're going to think and I probably won't get the job done. So, um, yeah, I think I've learnt that over the course of my career and probably learnt that through radio when it's one minute to um, the hour and a story. <laughs> you can only do what you can do, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you often see Gil Taylor racing off to file at two minutes to the hour and then I – or you just have to go live to air. It's the same in TV as well, you know. It's 10 minutes to and they want you to do checks and whatever and so you just race outside at the very last moment. The court reporting little community, it looks like it's a really close – knit little group. Um, I guess it's like any role that you do in media, if you're stationed on a certain round, you become close to the other journos that you're sort of, I guess, working against or working who work on the same round as, as, as you do. Do you find that comforting in a way that like you're there as a supportive team, even though you might be in direct opposition with, with somebody? Yeah, hugely. I, and I think there's two factors to that. One is we have this deep respect for each other because our job is fraught with mine, with mines, landmines, because if we say the wrong thing or we phrase the wrong way or we, um, you know, then potentially we get a trial aborted or we're in defamation court, you know, like there's always huge legal issues to get around. So we all know our stuff and we know what we can and can't do. And that's very evident when a non-court reporter comes onto the round because you'll see them do the wrong thing and, yeah, and cause all sorts of issues. So there's this deep respect for each other. And also just courts are so huge now with technology. We know so many more court stories that you just can't get around to every single court every day. And I will literally have two or three dozen court stories that I don't get to every day that I'm sending off lot. for dates for. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so there's usually half a dozen decent ones that you want to be across. So. Sure, if I've got an exclusive, I don't tell anyone about that and the others will respect that. But if it's something we all know about, I'll say, hey, 
Mel or, or Steph or M, are you going to this? Can you let me know how it's going? Cause I'm going to this and I'll let you know how it's going. So you have to be friends with each other just so you can stay across it all. And what's that like? Just being able to do that. And I guess in a stressful and at times emotional situation where the, the court process seems to be to have that to, I guess, debrief and share afterwards would be a, a pretty, um, important part of, of, of what you do. Yeah, especially because there are some. It's unique, right? It's absolutely, yeah, <laughs> it's hugely. I don't, there's no other round like it. And it's important because there are stories that get to you from time to time. So it's important to be able to talk them through with, frankly, with people that know exactly what you're saying. Um, and yeah, but it, there's also, um, a downside to it all is that, it's really, really hard to get an exclusive up in that round because they're all such guns. They're across everything. And logistically, if you've got a camera standing outside Downing Centre, then someone's going to notice you. So the downside is that it's really, really hard to get something to yourself. Are you able to ever sort of switch off in that situation? Like where you know that that's going to be from day to day, there's going to be a pressure situation or, or a story unfolding like or are you just constantly just wired for no I'm pretty relaxed because my yeah I work really really hard on my diary and it's pretty damn good <laughs> mm. um so and and I have decent contacts and I and I'm good at staying across things so no I and I and I'm like that so that I'm not constantly worried about my round no I'm I'm pretty pretty happy with the way that I'm across it and choosing stories. I have a natural sort of, okay, am I missing anything sort of um, thought process, but no, I, I try not to stress out too much. I just try to run my own race because I think I would just drive myself insane um, if I spent my entire time worrying about everyone else. You've been super generous with your time, but before we go, I just want to get some advice from you just in regards to anyone that's looking to take on a media career. The landscape's probably changed since you first were in uni and looking to pursue it and then through your career in radio and TV. So what would you say to anyone now that's got an eye on making it into the media? Yeah, I, um, I'm a big advocate for going regional and just doing your time and making your mistakes out out in the bush because I think that um, you learn you learn so many valuable skills that way and then you can come into a newsroom and really make a splash rather than making mistakes and being remembered for that. Um, so yeah, I would say go regional and I, it's really exciting that um, Nine set up all these new bureaus out in the bush. So there's a whole bunch more jobs going which, you know, we've seen the industry shrink lately, not grow. So I think that's really exciting. There's heap, there's heaps more jobs out there than there were. Kelly Fedor, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ralph. There she is, Kelly Fedor from Channel 9. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Kelly, please let her know by sending her a tweet. She's at Kelly Fedor. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the MediaMates podcast. Media Mates podcast.